Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 18, verses 10 to 12 is our text for this evening. Proverbs 18, verses 10 through 12. Proverbs 18, verses 10 to 12. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Before we turn to the Lord in the text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us this evening. We pray that you would shepherd us this evening. We pray that, Father, your word would accomplish the purposes for which you send it. That, Father, your people would be edified. That the lost would be reached. That in all things you might be glorified and that we as your people might grow in your likeness in your likeness more full of love more lowly more gentle more kind more patient father we need your grace we are a weak people we are a sinful people but we thank you that you are our father and you love us so grow us this evening in jesus name we pray amen Um, you know, there's something wonderful. Check my mic's on. Yeah, it is. There's something wonderful about um, the feeling of safety, and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, as a child, like some children, I was petrified of burglars. I don't know why, but I was just petrified of burglars, of robbers, and um, and so I felt really unsafe sleeping in my own bed at night. Um, but I would obviously, like everyone, when they're feeling unsafe, you just desperately want to feel safe again. And so I often did what many kids do at night when they're feeling unsafe. And that is I would get up and I would sneak into my parents' room you know, with a pillow and I would crawl into their bed and I would lie at the foot of their bed. And I remember, it was one of the most wonderful feelings at that point, that, that feeling of safety, that feeling of... Nothing can hurt me here. Nothing can hurt me. I'm safe and secure. And, and with that wonderful feeling, you would, you know, I would just drift off back to sleep. Um, but you know, even as adults, I think we can identify with that. With, with that wanting to just feel safe. With that wanting to feel secure. I think we long to feel safe. And I think our Father recognizes that. Think of the words of Psalm 12. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. And listen to this. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. You know, this text in Proverbs, 
relates to that concept, that concept of safety. Solomon says, verse 10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. He's safe. He's secure. That, that, that feeling, perhaps, nothing can touch me. Nothing can get to me here. And maybe I can rest, right? This is what we all long for, safety, security, and that's something of what we'll be looking at this evening. Now, we read verses 11 and 12, and we'll touch on verses 11 and 12, but we'll be mainly focused on verse 10. And I want to look at the verse in three parts. Verse 10, firstly, what the name of the Lord is. Secondly, who runs into it. And thirdly, what happens to them. Firstly, what the name of the Lord is. Now there's two things we can say here. Firstly, we can just say what the verse itself says. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Now when we think of strong tower, we might think of a, a well-built high-rise building. Think of maybe the Empire State Building or the Chrysler building, or the Sky Tower, or something like that. But in Solomon's day, or at least in Solomon's usage here, strong tower actually refers to a defensive building. It's the same word used in Judges 9. So in Judges 9, Abimelech captures a city, and all the men and the women of the city flee to a strong tower, and they shut themselves in. So strong tower, in Solomon's time, and in Solomon's usage, is a place of refuge in the midst of attack. It was a place of safety in the midst of war. It was the place you'd run to when the arrows were flying and the swords were drawn and people were wanting to kill you. And I think that's how Solomon is using it here. Notice that the righteous man is running here. Right? That's of a piece with it being a, a high-pressure situation when people are attacking, people are threatening, people are wanting to kill you. It's of a piece with war and combat. So although, you know, thinking back on the imagery I used in the beginning, using the image of a, a bed and curling up into your parents' bed, in modern terms, the equivalent wouldn't be that image, curling up into your parents' bed. And, right? the, the modern equivalent of a strong tower would be like a bomb shelter, you know, a place you'd go to in the midst of attack. And Solomon is saying, that's what the name of the Lord is. In the midst of war, when you're being attacked, the name of the Lord is a place of refuge. The name of the Lord is the place you go to to be safe and secure. So that's the first thing to say about the name of the Lord in terms of what the name of the Lord is. You just say what the verse says. But then there's a second thing too. In terms of this, this first setting, what is the name of the Lord that Solomon is speaking of here? There's a second thing too. And that is, what does Solomon mean when he says the name of the Lord? And, and what I mean by that is, what is the name of the Lord that is a strong tower? Maybe I can ask it this way. When Solomon uses this phrase, 
the name of the Lord. Does he mean the sound that is made as air passes over your vocal folds? Is that what he means when he uses this phrase, the name of the Lord? That is, is the name of the Lord something kind of magical that you just say? Is it something kind of technical? You just need to get the words right and it's a place of refuge. Like an incantation. You just make, this, make the right sound and you'll be safe. You know, some people have a view of the name of the Lord that is very much of a piece with that, don't they? Think, for example, of the people who say, whenever you see the word Lord, you should pronounce it Yahweh. Now, I, I say that not to enter into that debate, although FYI, if you hear someone say that, it's a red flag. But I point that out to say that's a very technical understanding of what the Bible means when it uses this phrase, the name of the Lord. And you have to ask the question, does the Bible itself have a technical understanding of what it means when it uses this phrase, the name of the Lord? Does Jesus have a technical understanding of this phrase, the name of the Lord? And therefore, in turn, should we read Solomon technically? You just say the right words, right? You say that you, that you make the right sound as the air passes over your vocal folds, you'll be safe. Should we understand Solomon technically? I think the answer is no. And the reason I think the answer is no is this. Right before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed for his disciples. And not only his disciples, he prayed for everyone who would believe in him through their word. So he was praying for us as well. And right at the end of that prayer, right before Jesus goes to the cross, the very last line is something very interesting. He says this. This is John 17, 26. Just listen to these words. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in just think about those words. Jesus says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. And he's talking about to them. I will continue to make it known to them. He says, I made known, made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. And so you just think, wait a second. How does that work? Usually... Once you make your name known to someone, that's it. You say, hi, my name is Ryan, and that's all you need to do. You just make it known once, and that's it, unless the person forgets, which happens. But that aside, normally names are just one and done. So this is my name, done. You've got my name, that's it. I don't, I don't continue to make my name known to you. So speaking technically... Names are one and done, aren't they? Here, name is not one and done. Jesus says, speaking of those who already know the Father's name, I will continue to make known to them your name, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus cannot be speaking technically. 
But if Jesus isn't speaking technically, then how is he speaking? The answer is he is speaking personally. The Father's name means the Father's character. Who the Father is and what the Father has done. We can't know God apart from his works. So his name means his person and his work. And Jesus, in his person and through his work, makes the Father known. Now that brings us back to Proverbs, doesn't it? The name of the Lord here in Proverbs that is a strong tower is what? It's the Lord's person and work. Who he is and what he's done. Who the Lord is and what the Lord has done. That's the strong tower. That's the refuge in the midst of attack that Solomon is speaking about here. So that's the first point, what the name of the Lord is. It is a strong tower, and the thing that is a strong tower, the name of the Lord that is a strong tower, is the Lord, the Lord himself, his person, and his work. Secondly, secondly, second thing I want to look at in verse 10, is who runs to this refuge? Who runs to this refuge? Who runs to the name of the Lord? The answer is this. It's really obvious. It's the righteous man. The righteous man. But you know, the really interesting thing is the way that Solomon has phrased this. Ask the question, why does Solomon speak in the third person here? Right? He says, the righteous man runs into it. He doesn't say, I run into it. He's not speaking about himself, at least not explicitly. He doesn't even say, you can run into it. In other words, he's not prescribing anything directly. He's not telling us explicitly to do something. He says, the righteous man runs into it. In other words, maybe you can say it this way. Solomon is describing something that he has seen. He's seen what righteous men do when the heat is on and they're under attack, when the arrows are flying, when the swords are drawn, when people are wanting to kill him. He's seeing what righteous men do in that situation and what they do is they run to the name of the Lord. They don't take refuge in their own strength. They don't take refuge in their own might. They don't take refuge in their own wisdom. They don't try and work salvation by their own hand. Instead, what righteous men do is they run straight for the name of the Lord. They run straight for his person and his work. Solomon has seen that happen, and he writes it down for us. He says, this is what righteous men do. And you know what? There's a sense in which we can, with a fair degree of, of confidence, identify who Solomon is talking about here. We can, we, can, we can, with a fair degree of confidence, say this is the righteous man that Solomon is talking about. Because do you know who Solomon knew, who time and time and time and time and time again, when the arrows were flying, when the swords were drawn, when people were wanting to kill him, do you know who time and time and time again took refuge in the name of the Lord? Solomon's daddy. David. King David. Solomon's dad. I mean, just think about 
one of the first things that comes out of David's mouth right when he was a youth is this very thing, isn't it? He says to Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, 45, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And then throughout the Psalms, you see this theme. David, over and over and over again, speaks of the name of the Lord taking refuge in the name of the Lord, trusting in the name of the Lord. We saw it in our call to worship. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God, his person and his work. In a sense, you can say this about David. This was just hardwired into him. When the heat was on, when the arrows were flying, when the sword was the swords were drawn, it was just hardwired into David to just go straight to the person and work of the Lord, to trust in his name. And I think it's fair to say that was a manifestation very specifically of his humility. I mean to be righteous and to be humble are basically synonyms, but but I point his humility I point out his humility to make a point about the verses that follow verse ten. Look with me at verses eleven and twelve of Proverbs 18. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Notice a couple of connected themes here. They might not be immediately obvious, but these verses are connected. Firstly, this theme of strength. Right? Verse 10, a strong tower connects to verse 11. A strong city. So Solomon is saying, in the same way that a righteous man's strong tower is the name of the Lord, a rich man's strong city is his wealth. His wealth is his refuge. His wealth is his high wall. His wealth is the thing that will keep him safe. But notice, it's only that way in his imagination. It's not that way in reality. It's not a refuge in reality. He thinks he's safe because of his wealth. He imagines he's safe, but he's not. Now we'll return to this point at the end, but this theme of wealth then connects to verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. So this word haughty, notice it, it means proud, or arrogant, and this connects straight back to wealth. Think about the first thing that Paul says to those who have wealth in First Timothy 6. It's the first thing he charges them. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Now you can be poor and arrogant, that's true, but biblically speaking, it seems there is a risk of pride that exists especially for those who have wealth, which by the way is everyone in this room. Compared to People throughout history, everyone in this room is very wealthy. But back to the text. Notice that Solomon, on the heels of talking about how the righteous man runs to the name of the Lord for refuge, then talks about humility. Which means, as I said earlier, David's running to the name of the Lord was an expression of his humility. 
By God's grace, David was a humble man. And so, as I said earlier, hardwired into him, as it were, was this running to the name of the Lord. If you put the heat on David, if you applied pressure to David, his knee-jerk response, as it were, was just to run to the person and work of the Lord. And I do just want to ask a question here. Where do you run when the arrows are flying, when the swords are drawn, when you're being attacked, when the heat is on? When the heat of persecution comes, when outsiders fire their arrows, where do you run? Do you run to the Lord and his person and work? Do you run to the culture warriors? When the heat of accusation comes, when Satan fires his arrows, where do you run? Do you run to the Lord's person and work? Or do you run to your own works? When your own conscience fires its arrows, when you feel convicted and guilty, do you run to the Lord and his person and work? Or do you run to your own goodness or progress that you can point to? You know, in the midst of battle, it's a mark of haughtiness and pride to run anywhere but the person and work of the Lord and to instead take ultimate refuge elsewhere. So I would implore you, humble yourself. See that the Lord and his person and work is your only refuge. It's the only place that you can be safe. And if you do take refuge in him, if you do take refuge in his person and work, you'll be safe. So we come to our last heading, what happens to those who run to the name of the Lord? The answer is really simple. It's touched on at the end of verse 10. The answer is, they're safe. If you simply say to the Lord, Lord, I have nothing but who you are and what you've done for me. That's it. I've got nothing. I'm not going to point to me. I'm not going to point to my works. I'm not going to point to anything else. All I'm going to point to is your son and his work and say, that's it. I don't have anything, just him. All I'm going to say, in other words, if you, if, you, if you say, Father, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve you to work in me. I don't deserve for you to work in my life. I don't deserve your protection. I don't deserve your help. But Father, you love me. And in your love, you sent your son to live for me and to die for me. And he deserves all of those things. Your help is his by right, but I thank you that it's mine by grace. If you do that, I mean, that's what it looks like to run to the Lord, isn't it? It is to run to his person and work in Christ and rest everything there. And if you do that, if you rest everything there, first and foremost, if you rest your salvation there, you'll be safe. Even if you don't feel safe, and that's key, even if you don't feel safe, you are safe because of who he is. And this is the wonderful thing here, isn't it? Return to the rich man for a moment, right? His wealth was like a high wall in his imagination. So he felt secure, didn't he? He wasn't fearing. He was completely assured. In his feelings, he felt safe. But in reality, he wasn't. To put it in a sentence, he was safe in his imagination, 
but he wasn't in reality. This is the reverse of that. The righteous man is safe in reality, even if he's not safe in his imagination. Even if he feels unsafe. Even if he doesn't feel assured at all. Anyone who takes refuge in the person and work of Christ, who says him and him alone is safe, regardless of how they feel. doesn't matter. They are safe. So if you're a believer here this evening, regardless of how you feel, if you trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, you are safe and nothing can ultimately hurt you. Nothing at all. Not the arrows of outsiders, not the arrows of the enemy, not even the arrows of your own conscience, because Jesus has died and it's all over. It is finished. And the heat, in other words, that should have fallen on you has fallen on him already. So you need not fear. May we rest in that. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that we are safe and secure, even if we don't feel safe and secure. If we have taken refuge in your name, simply trusted in the person and work of Christ, we are safe and we are secure. May you fix our eyes there on him and him alone, that we might know the freedom and security and safety that is ours regardless of how we feel, because of Christ and his work for us. Thank you for him. We love you. Grant that we would grow in our love for you and our love for one another, and grant that we would serve you joyfully this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.